Hey there, I'm Austin Fast, and you're listening to ONA On Air, a podcast from the Online News Association. Since I'm basically a squirrel, all these shiny ONA chapter buttons, ribbons, and flair by the fourth floor registration caught my eye. A lot of them are picked over. It looks like Philadelphia is pretty low. Reno. Um, there's a lot of, let's see what this is, San Francisco left. Uh, that's a surprise. All the way at the end of the buttons, there are four boxes uh, which have pronouns. She, her, he, him, they, them, and then there's a blank one. These are new this year. But that's not the only thing that's new. Oh, am I in the right place? Yep, this is an all-gender bathroom. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Gotcha. Feels a little weird. Come on in. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'm just going to head over here into the stall. That's right. ONA converted bathrooms into gender-neutral zones for this year's conference. And I had a mini heart attack the first time I walked in. So after getting a little rowdy together at that opening night reception, I feel like I can be vulnerable with you. Deep breaths. Whew. Okay. I'm a grammar stickler particularly around gender pronouns, but I'm in recovery. Now, Mrs. Minzy's second grade class drilled into me that he and she are singular. They is plural. End of story. Just like you shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition or start one with a conjunction. I was pretty sure those come after thou shalt not kill. And just to be clear, though, this is only about language. I accept and respect whatever gender identity people have. But the more that I've seen those little pronouns creep into email signatures, Twitter profiles, and now onto ONA buttons, the more I've wondered, how are newsrooms handling gender as it becomes less black and white? I'm Posey Gruner, and I am a producer for a show called Sound Effect. It airs every Saturday on KNKX, which is one of the NPR member stations here in Seattle. Posey's on the Gadio Listserv, a mailing list for queer folks in radio. Back in May, she turned to the list for help. She'd reported a story on Sylvia Ostefermore, a Seattle drag queen who hosts Bingo Night at the Senior Center. But she'd hit a roadblock with her editor around what gendered name to use. His question was like, well, how are we going to ID them? And I guess my response to that in the moment was like, well, we already ID'd them. Like, I didn't think this was a question at all. And so I honestly didn't even ask. When I got that question from my editor, um, that's when I decided to reach out to Gadio because, I, you know, really I was looking for backup. I was looking for good arguments to bring to the table um, because, you know, I had as of yet been a- been unable to say anything convincing. Um, the, the most convincing thing that I had said up until that point was, um, well, you know, people refer to share as share. And she got some good arguments for why Sylvia should stay Sylvia and not get ID'd as her out-of-drag male name. The messages poured in, and Posey eventually won over her editor. Now, don't get it twisted. I know drag queens aren't necessarily gender non-binary, but I'm still curious. How are newsrooms talking about gender-fluid sources? Posey's station, KNKX, doesn't have a written policy, but more organizations are adding gender pronouns to their rules. The Washington Post changed their style guides in 2015 to allow a singular they. And the Associated Press followed in 2017. Over at Arizona State University in Phoenix, Cronkite News acts as a teaching hospital of sorts for young reporters. Students broadcast the news out to a million PBS viewers across the state. Cronkite has an accuracy checklist that students need to go through before even sending stories to their editors. Digital director Lori Todd says their students suggested adding personal pronouns to that list last year. 
sometimes we can get so ingrained in, in the minutia of our job, we lose sight of the audience. Words have impacts. And if it's excluding someone, um, that is someone who if they read, read that, and they don't, they're not able to see themselves in, in the stories, um, or if we use incorrect um, pronouns and assign them when they shouldn't have been, you know, that leaves a lasting impact for them and they'll never come back to us. I was curious about how others at the ONA 19 conference felt about this. So I went to the gender equity and sourcing session on Thursday. And just like the way journalism and reporting always works, one person led me to another who led me to another until I found the perfect person to talk to about this. I'm Margaret Schneider. I am Director of Editorial Projects at Alley. Um, we're a digital agency. We work with publishers and newsrooms. Um, and I am also an ONA local co-organizer uh, in St. Louis. I am, I am bisexual, um, I, which is also in itself kind of like, I think there is some stigma even within the LGBTQ community of like, what is it, what does it mean to be bi? Um, and then I am also genderqueer. And for me, what that means um, is that I am mentally non-binary. I have never had a self-concept that was consistently male or female. It's always in my own mind that is could be either or both on any given day. And so for me, that's what it means to be genderqueer. But I do physically identify as, you know, I'm a Jewish woman, I have that body, and I embrace that. And it's been hard to embrace that. That's, you know, everybody has their own struggle with how they look, how they present, how they feel comfortable. My pronouns are she, her. Um, And I went back and forth on that. I really did. You know, you have to, everybody has to work that out for themselves. And to me, they doesn't fit my mental concept. I'm always sort of more one way or the other, but I'm never quite, you know, all male, all female. So, did you notice the buttons that were down by the uh, the um, the state buttons? Oh yeah, I have it. Yep, I have my she/her one, which is an interesting thing because I feel I have a lot of thoughts about you know even wearing that button because I do think that it can make me somewhat invisible and it can make it so. It can give me a privilege that I don't actually want to wear this button and to look that I am totally, you know, female-bodied person. Like, hey, that looks consistent. And that doesn't show that in my head that is not consistent at all. And so can you tell me a little bit about, in your experience, how are newsrooms uh, that you've worked in or that you've observed, how are they dealing with these, is- these issues? Yeah, it's interesting. It's I think... Um, First of all, it's just, you know, the basics, right? Pronouns, making sure people are represented correctly. It's not just an issue of being careful, which we all should be. It's an issue of this can literally get people killed. If you misgender somebody, that can in some cases really put them in danger. So it's a matter of being respectful to our sources. It's a matter of making sure that we're connecting with people and representing them in a way that doesn't do them psychological harm. Um, so... What I do think is that this is a difficult conversation for a lot of newsrooms where there isn't that knowledge. I mean, I remember there are definitely things that I've learned over the course of my career that I didn't always know about various people from all sorts of backgrounds. The way that I got that information, that's not necessarily a credit to me for like looking into it and learning about it. It's a credit to the people who were willing to write about that in the first place. So the more we can make these things visible, the more we can make ourselves visible, uh, I think that's really important, actually, because then people who don't have those resources can find out, okay, here's the correct way I should be handling this. Here's how you make sure that you're consistently representing somebody you know, correctly in your articles. So 
So, Margaret, do you feel like should newsrooms have a specific policy? Do they need to spell it out in, you know, their code of conduct? Or or what would you advise newsrooms to kind of go about this? Yeah, I think it is important to have policies about that, to have standards about it, and to make it clear that, you know, it won't be tolerated if you don't actually respect your sources. I think that's really important. And I think it can be hard sometimes to get buy-in from leadership on that. So to me, at least one of the solutions is when you can, when it's safe for you, being visible about it. For the people especially who have the privilege to be able to be visible in that, because that way it's not, it's not an abstract issue. It's something where I am your colleague. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how this affects me, how I feel, and how it affects my safety, you know, if I'm misgendered or if people don't understand what that would mean. There's some people who just came up uh, and they was always a plural. It was never referred to one person. They just can't wrap their minds around the grammatical aspect of it. Um, what would you te- what would you say to maybe that like curmudgeonly old? Don't not say old. I'm not being ageist. <laughs> but you know that that person who's just kind of like you know they can't deal with the grammar aspect of it. I would say that. I mentored with somebody who was the curmudgeon, who was the grammar curmudgeon, and I learned all of those things. And one of the most important things I learned and that we both, I think, changed our minds on over the course of our time working together, which was considerable, was not to be prescriptivist about this, that norms do change, that language does change, and it needs to. It needs to to reflect the way our communities are changing. So (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's an ethical argument much more than a grammatical argument. But I say this as somebody who, you know, I do have more than 10 years at this point, almost 20 years experience, like as a copy editor. <laughs> like I come from that background. I'm the first person who can talk journalistic shibboleths and all of that all day with you. And I think it has to change. So you'd invite them to reach out to you and <laughs> you can talk through it with them. I would love to talk about, yes, how the grammar is changing, how you can navigate that in your stories and make it not awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are many ways you can do this and make it seamless and make it actually represent people correctly. We're standing right outside uh, the bathrooms here on the fourth floor at ONA. And this year they have some all they've they've uh, marked them all gender restrooms. So. Uh, between the buttons and the restrooms, um, do you think it's important and why that ONA is kind of making these inclusive efforts? I think it's incredibly important to even have people in having these experiences, right? Like, what does that feel like to walk into a bathroom uh, that has, you know, dividers rather than stalls as a woman or has somebody who's maybe never thought about, you know, who's had the privilege to never think about your gender or how that relates to other folks. So like to me, having those little disjunctive moments, that's super important for people to think through. Even when I went out after the sessions, my friends and people at the bar were talking about the gender neutral bathrooms at ONA and how unusual it felt. And to Margaret's points, that's kind of how people who identify as gender non-binary feel all the time. I'm Austin Fast for ONA On Air, and I hope you'll continue this conversation in your newsroom.